0: doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara On money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed, and I am joined this morning by a couple, uh, by a legal professional and a real estate professional. And we are going to be talking this morning about being a landlord in Massachusetts. And I was trying to be all fancy and go Facebook Live this morning, and I just. Gosh, I just don't know why it's not working for me, guys. It's not giving me the go live option on Facebook. So I don't know that I can figure out how to do that quickly while I'm talking on air. Bottom, so.
1: It's on the bottom right hand side of your it should be down there on the bottom. Yeah, I see it, but it's not like highlighted dark blue so that I can click it.
0: You know, it's highlighted uh, like I can see it, but You it's have not- your Internet on. I do. Otherwise, Zoom wouldn't be working. So I don't know. I just, you know, this would have been a great. I'll, I'll mess around with that as as we're talking. But, um, okay. So this morning, uh, joined uh, joining me this morning, Sharon McNamara, Boston Connect Real Estate, and Ben Cody with Styles Law. Good morning, guys. Lovely to see you via Zoom. Good morning. Um, I we just we wanted to focus. Sharon and I did a show couple of months ago, Sharon, and we started talking about landlord uh, issues or something as in our, in our real estate show. And we we said, we have to do a whole show dedicated to being a landlord because um, from what I understand, the laws are quite uh, complex and, and I've heard some, you know, obviously people have great experience with his experiences with investment property and then sometimes uh, not so great experiences. So we wanted to talk a little bit about that from a legal aspect and from an investment aspect as well today. So, Thanks for being with me, guys. Um, ben, I don't think you've been on McNamara on Money before.
2: That's true. Uh, this is the first time.
0: Yeah, so welcome. Thank you. Uh, so, Styles Law is literally right down the street from our office uh, in Marshfield, but also literally right down the street from the, the radio station. So, you're pretty close. Um, do you want to give us a quick uh, background on yourself and on Styles Law? That'll buy me sure. some time to see if I can get this little go live <laughs> button working.
2: All right. Fair enough. Uh, so yeah, Alyssa, uh, also
1: listen. Yeah. Sorry. Alyssa, if you want to make me a co-host, I can work on that stuff so you can concentrate on the other stuff.
0: Oh, all right. I'll make you a
1: co-host on the zoom. Yep. Go ahead, Ben. Sorry right. to interrupt.
2: Oh no, not at all. So <laughs> uh, like Alyssa said, I'm an attorney at styles law uh, and we are a full service law firm. Uh, we, Uh, uh, handle many different types of matters, uh, primarily real estate, uh, but we also handle estate planning, uh, uh, litigation, uh, and uh, uh, various other Uh, areas of law. Um, As part of the real estate practice, uh, we handle investment properties on behalf of investors. Uh, We help people sell investment properties. We represent lenders. Uh, And unfortunately, we also have some experience with landlord-tenant law. Um, So we have some good perspective with respect to being a landlord and some of what that might entail.
0: Um, Thank you. And Sharon, I know Sharon uh, McNamara, obviously Boston Connect Real Estate. You've been on the show Mm -hmm. many times. Um, So just a quick background on yourself. And if you want to give a plug for your show, also on WATD, which is Tuesday nights, correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, uh, Sharon McNamara, broker owner of Boston Connector Real Estate. We um, also have a very good relationship, working relationship with Mark Stiles' office. Um, I've done some stuff with Ben, and I do a lot of stuff with Emmanuel Ebot and, of course, Mark Stiles over there. They are a great, great firm. So, I am um, very thankful to be part of this here. I won't probably have as much to say, but, um, you know, we just sort of wing it anyways, Alyssa. Yeah, so we, we owner, love we love to wing it. It frees up our Friday nights. <laughs> but um, It makes everybody around us nervous, but no, it, I know, it tends, I know. To, tends to work out better, which is actually why we've actually ch- sort of changed the focus of our show. So my show is Top Real Estate Roundtable. Uh, so we added the word roundtable on it because it's very much, hey, I have an idea. This is my idea. And that's how it all goes. So we're on every Tuesday night on WATD. And we are from 6.15, usually until 7.30. Uh, sometimes we have to end a little bit early. Earlier, sometimes we're later. So yeah, yeah. the show has been great in the round table aspect of it. Just makes it, gives you the opportunity to talk about what's important now. We can keep things hyper-local or yeah. we can sort of expand out nationwide. So it's great.
0: Oh, well, yes, thank you. And I think unscripted mm-hmm. radio is the way to go. Scripted radio is just, it's too, it's not na- it's not natural or something, it's unnatural. Yeah. So, um, all right guys, so thank you for being here. So I, and, and also Sharon, you have, you've owned an investment property for a long time. So I just thought sharing your experiences um, in that regard would be mm-hmm. helpful as well. So this is admittedly, like I was saying, off air. This is, um, I don't have any experience being a landlord. I don't have an investment property. I never have. Um, I have several clients that have had investment properties. I, you know, I know some of the numbers and, and, and of course, clients have shared experiences with me. I have family members that have had investment properties, but I don't have any personal experience. I've heard great stories um, about, you know, real estate, uh, you know, of course, appreciating depending on the area where you're in can be significantly. Um, and of course, some people are lucky enough to never have an, an issue with a uh, kicking out a tenant, but then there are just those horror stories as well. So um, I just wanted, I'm really glad that you guys are here to talk about this. I'm looking forward to being educated on the legal aspect of this stuff and and listening to some of the experiences that maybe some of your clients have had been and, and sharing your personal experiences and- uh, your personal. And one
1: other yeah, one ahead. other piece too that I can add to it at some point if it comes up, Alyssa, is the importance of when you are buying a multifamily, even if it's a two family, um, and you are going to be a primary resident in that and there's a tenant in the other part, but you want that tenant out. Um, I'm sure Ben has some really fun stories about trying mm. to get those people out before the next person buys. So yeah, um just Making sure that you get yourself aligned to the right way when buying a multifamily if you want to live in it yourself. Okay.
0: So, Ben, I, I actually, I, again, not having a lot of experience, I wasn't really sure where to start when I was looking at my outline, but I just didn't know if you wanted to give, like, is there any sort of background you can give from a legal perspective regarding, like, general laws, regarding responsibilities of a landlord? In other words, you know, I, from what I understand, providing heat and electricity and water and things like that. Like, what, what's, like, just at the highest level, what are the responsibilities of someone who has an investment property with a tenant
2: in it? Sure. So I think the a good place to start is to talk about uh, the different types of tenancies. Okay. Um, so at a very high level, um, you can have uh, what's called a tenancy at will. Uh, and that could be both with a written lease or without a written lease. Um, and so you could think of this as more of a, uh, often people say month to month. Okay. Uh, so this could be uh, a winter rental. This could be uh, uh, somebody that you don't want long-term. Uh, and then From there, uh, we have uh, a a tenancy for a term. So that would be under a written lease um, uh, where uh, the lease is actually a contract. And so it's a contract between the landlord and the tenant. And basically the landlord's primary obligation is to provide possession uh, to real estate. Uh, There are some other responsibilities, which I'm sure we'll get into. And the tenant's main obligation is to pay rent in return for that possession. Um, the responsibilities that you touched on with providing heat water, things of that nature. Those really go to certain minimum standards that the state has for all tenancies. Uh, so we often call them uh, the warranty of habitability. So landlords are uh, a that the, the, the apartment or uh, whatever property is, is going to meet certain minimum standards, including having water, uh, being safe for occupation, uh, being uh, consistent with the state building code, having heat in the winter, uh, things of that nature. Um, so those are really the biggest obligations, providing possession, making the apartment safe and livable, and the tenant has the obligation to pay rent.
0: So a tenant, a tenant at will is someone that you don't necessarily have to have a lease, right? But that makes me a little bit nervous. So what, what, um, what protects the landlord in that situation from someone out staying their welcome?
2: Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately that's a possibility with either, uh, a written lease or a tenancy at will. Um, and if somebody does stay past, uh, when they're, uh, supposed to move out, uh, the, the remedy is essentially an eviction uh, through the summary process uh, uh, through courts. Uh, you can evict a tenant if uh, if they don't move out when they're supposed to.
0: So tenancy at will is like you know for if you're a tenant, it gives you the flexibility to you know I'm not locked into a certain you know a year or whatever. And generally, what do you have to give you know two weeks or thirty days notice or something? When yeah, you're ready? so
2: it's thirty days notice, um, but it cuts both ways because the both well, the tenant can leave at any time. Uh, But the landlord can actually terminate the tenancy at any time as well. Um, So a lot of tenants would actually prefer to have a 12-month lease uh, because they have the certainty of knowing that they have a place to live for the next year and they're not going to have to move. Um, So it does cut both ways. The tenancy at will is nice for landlords if they aren't sure about a particular tenant. uh, um, uh, It gives them the flexibility to actually end the tenancy early.
0: Yeah. And so is it 30 days notice by either party? So if a landlord wants to evict, it's 30 days notice with a tenant at will?
2: Right. So that's the default. You can have a shorter notice period uh, written into the lease, but generally it's 30 days. And so um, it has to be served in writing. Um, okay. Generally, uh, landlords to make sure that it's effective notice for use in court will have it served uh, by a constable or a sheriff. Uh, and then that gives you proof that you've given them at least 30 days, which allows you to start your lawsuit. Um, but yeah, 30 30 Days written notice uh, from either party to the other.
0: Okay, all right. So, so getting into the, what I thought would be like the meat of today's show. The, you know, the 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 sort of the warnings or the things that people should know, being a landlord, just so that they're prepared and know what to do in in, in situations that could, don't go in their favor. Um, so what can you just like walk us through what happens when a tenant refuses to leave the property, whether or not, I guess, whether or not there is a lease, um, what happens, what's the process and, and what is what does the landlord need to do in this situation?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to start with a big caveat. Um, right now is a really strange time to Practice in landlord tenant law or be a landlord Um, due to COVID, there was actually a moratorium on evictions. It was passed um, earlier this year. It was originally set to expire uh, actually about 10 days ago. It's been extended by the governor and it's now um, in effect through October, or at least through October 17th. Um, So, what this means is it's actually very difficult to evict a tenant, even if they're not paying currently. Um, There are a lot of uh, nuances to it. There's actually litigation going on right now, uh, testing the limits of uh, this law and whether it's actually uh, legal. Um, But I think what your question is really aimed at is, under normal circumstances, what does an eviction look like? Yeah. Um, So we start with a notice to quit uh, which is that notice we were talking about terminating the tenancy. And there's really two uh, popular notices to quit. One is 30 days, that's for a tenancy at will, which we already talked about. And then there's a 14 day notice to quit and that's for non-payment of rent. Um, so basically what the landlord is doing is they're telling the tenant, your tenancy is over. You have this many days to move out. If you don't move out, we're gonna proceed with a lawful eviction. Assuming the uh, the tenant doesn't move out at the end of their notice period, the landlord then uh, prepares and serves what's called a summons and complaint. Uh, And that's basically a fancy word for uh, a piece of paper that uh, tells the the tenant they have to show up at court or to court on a certain day to defend in an eviction proceeding. So evictions in Massachusetts are handled uh, through summary process. And just like it sounds, it's supposed to be short or less complicated. Uh, In practice, sometimes it's not so short and it's not so uncomplicated. Um, But effectively you get into court some number of weeks after you've served the summons and complaint. And if there aren't some other um, complicating factors, you should actually have a trial uh, uh, on that day. And then uh, usually the judge will make a decision that day. Now what you'll find is that most matters are actually settled short of going to trial. Uh, There's actually court uh, there's available mediators at a court that help you talk through the issue, come to some sort of resolution uh, and you come to an agreement with the tenant. Uh, So very few of these cases actually go before a judge. The judge makes a decision uh, and then uh, issues uh, a judgment. Now, if the landlord wins and their right to possession of the property is superior to that of the tenant, the judge will enter judgment, which uh, can include a money damages component. So if the tenant owes rent, um, uh, the judge will say, you owe X dollars to the landlord. uh, And they'll also often issue what's called an execution for possession. Um, And so that piece of paper allows you to essentially have a a sheriff or a constable serve it on the tenant. Within a a certain number of days, they can actually force the tenant to move out. Uh, It's very unusual for that to go all the way to the end because it's expensive. Uh, The tenant usually understands once judgment is entered and the execution is issued uh, that the writing's on the wall, they have to leave. But sometimes it does come down to that and you can actually have the tenant physically removed from the property, uh, but it has to be done by uh, a a professional. It can't just be done by the landlord.
0: So you lost me a little bit there, but let me just make sure sure I understand. So so if it, when a tenant refuses it, so it's either that they refuse to leave when a lease is up or they have ceased paying the rent, correct? I would assume exactly. either of those situations is the same, is the same process. So for you, you written notice, 14 days written notice, right? And if they still don't leave the property in 14 days, then the landlord is filing a, is that what you call it? A summons and complaint?
2: Yes, exactly. And
0: then you're, and then at that point you're waiting for a trial?
2: Yeah. It, right. right. So, so there's a very regimented trial schedule. You have to give the summons and complaint on a certain day. Wait a certain number of days to file it. Wait a certain oh, number of okay. days before you actually have your hearing. Um, there are uh, technical reasons why it might be extended. So for instance, if the if the um, uh, the tenant files an answer, which is basically just uh, uh, responding to the, the allegations in your complaint, things can be pushed out. Um, uh, and there can also be scheduling conflicts with the court. If things are busy, it right. might get continued. Uh, the tenant could ask for more time because they have some other issue. Um, so, but oh. generally speaking, you get into court uh, a few weeks after uh, the, the tenant that notice to quit expires.
0: Okay. So, so at this point, you're four to five weeks post, whatever the situation is like four to five weeks post, they stop paying rent or they refuse to leave. And then, and then did you say that the normal process would be that there would be like, you go to, right. You go to court and then the judge would generally issue, um, the eviction the same day. Is that what you said? It's usually pretty quick.
2: Yeah. So the, ideally, uh, the judge is going to um, have the parties come up to the, uh, the podium and yes. basically state their case. Um, now, in practice, the judges don't want to do that because it's really inefficient. Uh, and so oh. what they'll say is uh, they'll call your name. Uh, is John Smith here? Yes, I'm present. Uh, would you like to uh, enter mediation? Yeah, that sounds fine. And you talk to a third party neutral who helps you talk through the issue. And most of the time okay. the matter settled without actually going in front of the judge.
0: Oh, okay. In the same day, I would assume.
2: Yes. Yeah, exactly. In
0: most of your experiences, so this this process right here, whether it's mediation or whether it's the judge issuing uh, his or her decision on the, on the matter, di- does it generally favor the landlord or are there many situations where the tenant has X, Y, Z reason for not leaving the property and then it's uh, the decision is issued in favor of the tenant? Do you have any concept of how frequent one or the other?
2: Yeah, so, so I don't have a, a, uh, a number that I could say. It's that's not right. like it's 70% yeah, uh, right. uh, success. But I will say that Massachusetts uh, has a reputation for being very tenant friendly uh, and it's by design. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of statutes that provide uh, tenants with certain protections uh, and it gives the judge's discretion to actually uh, stay judgment or stay execution, I should say. Um, so the the idea is uh, as a public policy matter, we don't wanna make people homeless. Right. Um, and so the judge will wait the, um, the the situation and say is the loss of rent, is the inequity to the landlord that's not receiving a benefit for their apartment, is that outweighed by making sure that this person isn't put out onto the street? Are there reasons why the tenant isn't paying or the tenant hasn't leave? Because sometimes the tenant's still paying uh, and it's, been, it's just a normal uh, end of the tenancy right. um, uh, type question. Right. In that case, uh, those are called no-fault evictions. Uh, and the court actually has uh, broad discretion. So um, uh, he can actually, or she can uh, stay execution up to six months. Uh, And um, uh, if for people that are over 62 years old, uh, it can actually be stayed for up to a year. Now, generally, the court's going to require that rent continues to be paid. um, But there is a lot of discretion to push that timeout, which is why landlords are often uh, uh, very keen on mediating and trying to settle the matter uh, rather than giving the judge the opportunity to potentially push us out for an entire year.
0: So sorry, so stay of execution means the judge is saying that the the tenant can stay?
2: Yeah, so uh, the execution is the document that gives you the right to physically remove the tenant from the property through proper legal channels. Okay. Staying the execution um, uh, basically means that you're putting a pause on that. Um, you're not allowing the execution to be used for a certain amount of time. So it could be, I'm gonna stay the execution for 30 days. It could be, I'm gonna stay the execution for a year while the tenant finds a new apartment. And it all depends on the situation. Okay. Um, so uh, the older someone is, if they have a disability, if they have young children, if they have lost their job, uh, if, there are, uh, if there's an illness, uh, those sorts of things, uh, come into balancing whether it's equitable to push this out for a longer period.
0: I would imagine whether or not the landlord has another tenant lined up is also a consideration, right? Yeah, it if can. it's potentially affecting another family or another person that was set to move in on a certain date.
2: Right. Yeah, and so that's yeah. balanced uh, between yeah. the equities. So it, it goes beyond the landlord wants to renovate the property or the landlord's uh, not been paid rent. Uh, generally, the court is going to require rent to continue to be paid okay. uh, during this process. Uh, but if there is another family that's waiting to move in, uh, th- that often weighs in favor of keeping that time frame shorter.
0: Are there ever situations where a judge would allow the tenant to stay but not pay rent or like pay it, uh, maybe negotiate a reduced rent or something like that? Have you heard of that?
2: Yep. So uh, in addition, so we started off our conversation talking about what the landlord's obligations are. uh, And I kind of at a very high level said it's providing possession and providing a safe, livable apartment. Yeah. Um, Now the devil's in the details. So um, suppose there was no hot water uh, in the apartment for a certain number of months. The judge might say, well, uh, uh, because of that counterclaim, you've basically uh, alleged that the landlord didn't meet their obligations. Um, you actually don't owe any money uh, because the apartment fell below that minimum standard. Okay. Uh, and so there are situations where the tenant can actually win money against the landlord if the breach is egregious enough. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's never as simple as I'm owed $1,000 a month rent, so just multiply the number of months by that. There's always, well, not always, there can be a balancing of what are the counterclaims, what are the defenses that might entitle you to lower that amount or even win money against the landlord.
1: So and can I ask a can I ask a question real quick? I'm sorry, Alyssa, just sure. on that thought. Yeah. What happens if the the tenant doesn't inform the landlord? So is the, is there some responsibility that also falls upon the tenant to make sure that they have it in writing?
2: Uh, inform the landlord of when they intend to move out.
1: No, of the, of a situation like I have no hot water like, oh, because yes. the landlord doesn't live there, so there has to be some ownership of responsibility on the la- on the tenant as well, right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So the landlords aren't tasked with being psychic; uh, they're tasked with responding to complaints uh, uh, and fixing things. So if the tenant says I don't have hot water, the landlord's out there in the next day, uh, uh, generally. The, the court won't find that that's a breach of the warranty. If the tenant never makes or gives the landlord notice and then later on says, oh, I didn't have hot water for three months, the court doesn't treat that as a, a viable defense or a counterclaim. But if the tenant gave a, a, sent a letter, sent an email, sent a text to the landlord saying, I don't have hot water. The electricity's out. Um, I see mold. Uh, the court will take that into account, and often will award damages to uh, the tenant um, and make the landlord compensate the tenant.
0: Um, on that note, we got to we got to pause for a moment and take a quick break. But I'm uh, this I'm getting excited. This is this is. This is fun for me. I've been wanting to do this show for so long. Uh, You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial here in Marshfield. Uh, This morning's topic is being a landlord in Massachusetts. So talking about the issues of owning an investment property. Um, I'm joined today by Ben Cody with Styles Law and Sharon McNamara of Boston Connect Real Estate. That music means it's time just for a quick break, but we're here another 90 minutes or so. So lots more to talk about. Uh, We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. i um, joined this morning uh, with by a couple of guests and one more on the way around nine o'clock. Uh, we have Ben Cody with Stiles Law um, and we have Sharon McNamara with Boston Connect Real Estate. Good morning again. Um, we're talking uh, being a landlord in Massachusetts this morning, which I'm excited about. I have zero experience with this other than just being able to, you know, from a financial aspect, analyze investment properties or the return potential of an investment property with clients, um, but I have no personal experience with with having an investment property. So I'm happy to have you guys here this morning. Uh, looks like uh, you can find more about Sharon at BostonConnect.com, and you can find out more about Ben at um, uh, Styles-Law.com. Right? Did I get that correct? All right, perfect. Exactly. Great. All right. Thanks again for being here this morning.
1: Melissa. Um, yeah. We have actually a question on Facebook. So people sometimes do that, ask okay. questions. Um, and I think we're going to hit upon this, but I just figured since she is listening. Um, so Jessica Salia, she is actually a um, loan officer. And she said, okay. um, what recommendations do you have for landlords with tenants who are refusing or not able to pay rent during the pandemic since the government has ordered no evictions to be extended in December? And, Great question. Um, yeah. And then one other one was, when purchasing a multifamily, can you request all units be vacant upon closing? Again, now during pandemic. So those are two questions and-
0: Ben, you're up, I have no idea.
2: (laughs) Okay, Uh, so like I kind of mentioned at the beginning, there was a moratorium signed uh, earlier this year uh, in response to the pandemic. Um, And so what it effectively did is it told courts that they can't proceed with evictions except in certain limited circumstances. And they're very limited. Um, the, the, the language of the statute is essential versus non-essential evictions. So non-essential evictions would be things like uh, breaching the lease. So that would be staying past their welcome, damaging the property, um, having a dog when they shouldn't, things of that nature. Uh, it, non-essential includes non-payment of rent. So somebody stops paying rent, you can't evict them. Uh, really, the only th- reasons that you can evict a tenant uh, deal with health and safety. So, if they're in illegality, so if uh, there's a police report the tenant was um, engaging in illegal conduct, you can ask the court to evict them. Uh, if the person is engaging in unsafe behavior uh, and is uh, endangering the health and safety of uh, the other tenants, In your building, you can ask the court to evict them. Everything else, uh, uh, basically, there are no evictions happening right now.
0: So, and that's just because of COVID, right? That's not the that's not the normal course of action. So, what and how long is there an end date for this? Did you just say October or December?
2: Yeah. So that's one of the controversial things. Uh, The the statute was originally written so that it would expire on August eighteenth, but. Uh, the governor has the authority under the statute to extend it um, uh, in, uh, I I believe it's 90 day increments. Um, uh, And so essentially, as long as the governor says, yep, COVID's still happening, I want to extend this, it can keep being extended until the law is repealed uh, by the legislature, uh, which was really controversial in the landlord circles, uh, because uh, you could have a situation where if this goes on for another six months, we could be at a year, uh, where there's no rent being paid. Uh, and the flip side of that coin is uh, a lot of these landlords are uh, 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 ordinary people like you and me that own one, yeah. maybe two properties. They have their own mortgage that they have to pay. And if their property isn't performing, uh, they're actually losing money. So it's, it's really controversial. Uh, and there's actually several lawsuits happening right now to test whether this is even uh, a law that could be enacted.
0: So, as I understand it, so you just basically said that as a result of COVID in Massachusetts right now, the only you cannot evict a tenant due to non-payment of rent or or due to expiration of lease. Is that correct? Correct. So the only reason you could have you could ask for an eviction right now is if there was an illegal activity or if they have uh, broken the lease in some other fashion. Is that what you said? Like. No.
2: Yeah, yeah, it would have to do with health and safety. So okay. if you have somebody that's, uh, it, it's it's probably I think it's difficult to even think of a situation right. where health and safety might come into effect. So uh, perhaps if somebody's threatening to uh, physically harm another tenant in your building, uh, if they're lighting fires in okay. the apartment, yeah. it would really have to rise to a, a pretty high level to get over this bar. Um, t- uh, constables and sheriffs won't even serve notices to quit right now. Um, it's uh, basically the housing court has come to a grinding halt.
0: And does and the tenant doesn't have to prove that they were you know laid off, furloughed, in in some way affected by COVID. They can. So what's to stop a tenant right now from even if they're fully employed and nothing has changed in their life? What's to stop a tenant right now from not paying their rent?
2: Yeah. Uh, so the short answer is there's nothing that would stop that. Um, now <laughs> oh the in, if you look at the governor's letter that um, he sent to the legislature in uh, on July 21st. He did strongly say people should see, keep paying their rent uh, and landlords uh, should uh, uh, seek assistance. There is a, a fund that the government uh, provides assistance if uh, the landlord is unable to pay their mortgage or their other expenses. Okay. Uh, and there are some other things in the law uh, that allow the landlord, for instance, uh, to use the security deposit to pay for expenses as long as there's proper notice given to the tenant. Uh, but one thing uh, that's interesting about the lawsuits that are happening right now. So there's one in federal court, and then there's at least one in state court. So the state court um uh decision actually came down a couple of days ago. Um and the superior court judge said uh something pretty interesting, which is this moratorium stops evictions, but it doesn't stop all legal process. Um, So what that means is you can still file a lawsuit for a breach of contract, because remember we said leases are just contracts. Um, You can still sue the tenant and say, you owe me three months of rent and you haven't paid it. Uh, You can go get a judgment and you can try and collect against the tenant. So if they're gainfully employed, if they have a bank account, if they care about their credit report or their credit score, uh, there is a reason for them to keep paying and there is a way to get the money. Um, But as a lot of landlords will tell you, uh, many tenants don't have a lot of money. Uh, and even if you got a judgment for $100,000 against the tenant, collecting against them can be very difficult. Um, so uh, it's part of why it's so controversial. There are ways to t- continue to try and mitigate your damages, uh, but eviction uh, and having the tenant removed from the property just isn't one of those right now.
0: I've said so many times in the last several months that I am I am glad that I'm not in a position of decision-making In the world right now, there is just uh, this: uh, governors, the president—I mean, any any person in a position of making decisions for the the general public right now. I do not envy them. I think they're in an incredibly tough position. Um, Like, and I in my world, like in the world of in the world of finance, right? There are things. There are uh, there's there's new legislation this year as a result of COVID and the stimulus package and the CARES Act, and you know there are uh, um, you know people can take money out of their IRA. They can avoid the tax penalty, but there is language in there regarding, you know, if you're doing this and if you're avoiding the, the taxes as a result of, um, you know, taking funds out this year, you need to be able to prove that you were in some way affected negatively by COVID, right? So that makes sense to me that you're able to, you know, you know, uh, skirt the system, you know, skirt the rules a little bit and avoid these penalties, but you, there has to be a sound reason for that. It doesn't sound like that that's happening in, the, in this world, in the world of, uh, being a landlord and a tenant, which is unfortunate. I feel like there should be some caveat there. Like, okay, you, you know, you, you stop paying your rent, your you, landlord can't evict you, but there has to be some proven uh, reason that you're not paying. At least that that would make sense to me, but that's unfortunate. That doesn't seem like that's the way that it is right now. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So the, the policy argument and uh, the judge in the case from this week uh, pointed this out is that there is an equity question. Is it fair yeah. uh, to have this outcome? Um, but I think that uh, if the legislature and the governor are looking at this problem, they say fairness is important, but also maintaining people in their homes is, all, is equally important, yeah. uh, mostly from an infection perspective. Uh, so when homelessness goes up, we think that the uh, the risk of infection is going to go up. Uh, and uh, so it's really a public health question yeah. in addition to a finance question.
0: Um, and you just mentioned that there is a resource for landlords, like in the world of yeah, small business, there is the PPP. So there's something comparable to that in the world of being a landlord?
2: Yeah, it, but it, it's relatively small. So okay. um, if uh, when I looked at it recently, I think there was about maybe $20 million statewide set aside for landlord assistance. Um, one of the things that, Uh, protects landlords. So uh, there is, it isn't all gloom and doom. Um, There is a moratorium on uh, foreclosures as well. Um, So if a landlord's in a position where they can't make their payments, um, we always recommend that they are honest with their bank, talk to them, never stick your head in the sand because that that usually ends up being much worse. Uh, But Right now, lenders can't foreclose. And so uh, I think everyone's going to have to work together uh, uh, because the the banking industry doesn't want to foreclose uh, similar to 2008. They don't want to foreclose on these properties and much rather have them producing income and uh, uh, being paid. And so I think what you're going to see is a lot of lenders will work with uh, borrowers that might be in arrears on an investment property um, uh, and either refinance them, uh, allow them to sell or do something other than just go straight to foreclosure once this all clears up
0: so' so similar to how you can't a landlord can't evict right now due to non-payment um I'm assuming they can't sell either right like so if a period of time goes by a tenant's not paying the rent and and you know landlord gets to this point where I just want to get rid of this property I want to sell it they can't can they even do that right now if there's a tenant in the property. Mm-hmm.
2: So they could sell it, but I think it's more of a practical problem. And I think Sharon will probably point this out mm. too. There aren't going to be a lot of buyers that want to buy an apartment with a non-paying tenant. Yeah. Um, but, so there's nothing so legally course, wrong right. with selling. I'm
0: saying, it, but it, you can't sell it and that's and then the tenant has to be evicted at that time, right? Just... Uh, I guess that's what
2: I was thinking. Right. Yeah. So, and I think Sharon will probably uh, agree with this. Um, A lot of investors will ask for a a property to be delivered vacant, especially if it's going to be owner occupied. And uh, practically, that's just not possible right now, at least not in a way that the the seller would be in control. They can hope and they could ask the tenant to leave, uh, but there's really nothing you could do to force the tenant to leave uh, in order to have the property delivered vacant.
1: In some situations, too, what we're seeing, and I actually had one question to just back up on that, uh, Ben, that I didn't know the answer to, was Mm -hmm. on the moratorium, I know like a lot of people were getting, excuse me, forgiveness for, you know, paying their mortgages, Mm -hmm. but they, you know, they didn't have to pay, but after three months, they were supposed to pay that whole amount. So for these people, for these tenants who are not paying their rent, are they then going to be uh, responsible for the months that they did not pay, or are they just forgiven,
2: Yeah. So nothing in the statute forgives any uh, unpaid rent. So um, even if they're not paying, they're still liable for it. Now, you have a collection problem. If the tenant doesn't have the cash, it's hard to get it. But uh, Mm -hmm. for people that are, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, gaming the system, if they have money in a bank account, uh, and they don't try and squirrel it away, uh, eventually, you should be able to get that back as a as a landlord.
0: Dude, but you'd have to sue the well, tenant to get it back, things. though. Is that correct? Correct.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You'd have to file a lawsuit, which you could even do right now. There's nothing that stops okay. uh, uh, a lawsuit in the district court seeking uh, the payment of rent. Because remember, a lease is just a contract. And we're saying it's a breach of contract not to pay your rent. Um, so you could still sue them right now uh, and try and collect judgment. It, you probably won't uh, win anytime soon. Right. Uh, but There's really nothing stopping that process right now.
1: Alyssa, one of the bigger things that happened in the city, it was really bad was, so you think about Boston and all of the kids that are renting apartments and everything. So when the governor came out and said this, nobody was really, it was all new too. So COVID was new, all these regulations were new, nobody knew what any of it really meant. So I feel the kids were thinking or the students were thinking, oh, look, I don't have to pay my rent. They didn't feel as if they had that responsibility, you know, that's going to really could stay with them forever, could impact their credit score and and everything else. I mean, they could end up with lawsuits, but they they were flocking out of the city. And, you know, now these landlords were left with these apartments that were completely empty. So Casey's apartment, she just moved and her apartment, the the girls on the top floor they just left they weren't paying and it was funny because the mother is from new york and was paying the rent anyways but she felt as if that was her out that she didn't have to pay it mm. so all of these apartments are now empty but here's the other thing is um the apartment above Casey so Casey and uh Dustin had actually come back to Pembroke for several months during covid and um we got a call one night that the fire department had broken into Casey's apartment. They had to break down the door. The girls on the first floor on the floor above her had this great idea during the heat, uh, to have a pool party. So they got, um, baby pools, the plastic baby pools, and they brought them into the apartment. And, um, how do you, you know, they don't have an outside spigot or whatever. So they, mask and taped it to the bathroom sink Oh my! with God. a hose <laughs> to, fill the, t- to oh. fill the baby pools. But it takes a while getting that much water out of oh my a bathroom God. fixture. They left the pools. Basically the water ended up getting, lo and behold, it went into Casey's kitchen. Oh my God. So the ceiling crashed down. Um, it's all balloon framed in the city. so these old buildings are all balloon framed, which means no, not um, yeah, so balloon frame means like from top to bottom, like the just think about the structure. So it goes, you could see from the ceiling, from the third floor all the way to the basement, right? So now there's no fire stops in between the floors. Oh, okay. So the water went all the way down into the electrical, into the, uh, there's a restaurant on the first floor. So the fire alarms were going off. The electricity was shut off. Casey's stove was completely oh destroyed. Well, lo and behold, the girls got caught and they also got caught with their cat. They're not supposed to have a cat on the premises, So there was this huge issue, but Casey, there was no stove and Casey had one month left before she was moving out anyways in her lease. So I just said, first of all, there's no electricity in her kitchen. There's no stove. I felt bad for the landlord in a way because I said to him, he's a great guy. I was like, Derek, here's the deal. Like, I probably know a little bit more than your average mom, um, but the build, her apartment right now is inhabitable. So oh you're going to have to, you're required to put her up in a hotel. Oh, with her really? And her roommate. Yeah, you're required to do that. And in Boston, I was like, and I like him a lot. And I was like, I am not going to make you do that. It wasn't fair anyways, Casey was home. But I did say, "Hey, why don't we negotiate here? Can we get out of August last month, yeah. and just give us yeah. then give us back our last month's rent?" And I
0: want. I need to know what happens. What's the roughly, ramification to yeah. these? I need to know what's the ramification to the girls that flooded the building. Oh, do we lose Sharon? I think so. He
1: told me that. Oh, I'm here. Can you see me? Yeah, Can you're. Me? I don't know if your Wi-Fi I'm is here. a little Can slow for a minute. Yeah, you're just a little slow, oh. and choppy. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, He said that he was taking portions of whatever out of their security deposit. But I'm sure there'll be more. Could that even get a new stove?
0: Yeah. Could that be enough to fix the problem? (laughs) Their security deposit couldn't be sufficient to fix all those structural problems now in the building. I can't imagine.
1: No, but I loved Ben laughing at it because I'm sure you haven't heard that one yet. You should hear a Tim. You should hear Tim next through the window. He's dying. He's like he's dying. That's crazy. It's crazy. Like, I,
2: I knew what eyes. was coming. I'm like, oh, the water. Oh no. Yeah.
0: Oh, we can see it. Why couldn't they see it? So, can the landlord in that in that situation sue for damages or something? Sue, sue those tenants for more than their security
1: deposit? I'm assuming it's going to cost him to even if he goes well, through insurance. If, Right. Isn't that the hazard? Is that considered a ha- now? Would they consider a hazard so they can he can make them move out
2: because they uh, weren't they
1: haven't been paying their rent by the way. Oh
0: my god, it,
2: that's uh, awful.
0: That's an <laughs> awful, awful, awful story.
2: It, it, yeah, and before I answer your question, I just have to say my favorite part was at the end. You said, "And they had a cat." I
1: know, as if like, that was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, Yeah, well, they got caught with that too. Like these people are not thinking. Yeah, exactly.
2: So I I think um, because this law is relatively new and untested, uh, the the short answer is we don't really know if that would be a valid reason to evict them. I think uh, there's a good chance you'd at least get the judge's attention uh, because that's pretty extreme. Um, And I think you have to remember the judge is a, a human and they understand what is fair. Um, And so if you go in and say uh, the people on the top floor aren't paying, they destroyed our apartment, they almost set a fire, um, they did all these things and it's affecting other tenants in the building in addition to the public in that restaurant, I think there's a good argument that that uh, is uh, endangering the, the well-being and safety of other people in the building.
0: I would assume if if it wasn't in the midst of COVID-19 in like a year ago, it would have been pretty easy to evict this tenant, right? Uh,
2: Yeah. So there's probably at least two reasons. Uh, One is the the lease that they're under probably says you're not going to damage the apartment. Uh, So they, they breached that portion of the lease lease is a contract. It's a simple breach of contract claim. Uh, But I think this probably goes uh, into an area of what we would call a negligence action. Uh, And so uh, basically when you damage somebody's property because you've been negligent, uh, you can actually sue them under that theory as well. So there's probably a couple of reasons why they would owe the landlord this money.
0: Actually, can we talk about um, damage to property for a minute? Because I did want to touch on that. So what... um, recourse does a landlord have if, so like you said, most leases would contain language regarding you can't damage the property. What recourse does a tenant have, I'm sorry, a landlord have if um, when the property is damaged, whether there's water damage or they, you know, blew a hole through the wall or they destroyed the kitchen appliances or, you know, what what rec- is it is it a, a lawsuit that's their only recourse or they take the security deposit or both or what happens there?
2: Yeah, exactly right. So uh, the security deposit is um, your first line of defense. Um, it's highly regulated. Um, so you can't take more than one month worth of rent. Uh, you have to have a receipt signed at the beginning of the tenancy. You have to put it into a separate bank account in the name of the tenant. Oh, okay. You have to give them uh, statements. You have to pay them the interest that the account might oh. uh, uh, Earn, um, and you also have to give them a property condition statement at the beginning of the tenancy. And if you want to take money out of that security deposit, you have to actually give them a notice within thirty days of the end of the tenancy, saying, "Here are the damages. Here's the proof of what I think it's going to cost to fix it. Here's how much I've deducted." And you have to give them whatever money is left over. Okay. If you violate any of those things, uh, the tenant can actually sue you for three times the amount of the security deposit. Oh. So. Uh, It's actually one of the biggest problems that I have whenever I'm representing a landlord. My first question is always, did you take a security deposit? And then I go through that list. If there's any problems, um, we're in a much worse bargaining position if the tenant knows what they're doing. Um,
1: Can you repeat that list? I'm
2: sorry. Can you just repeat it one more time? Yeah. So um, at the beginning of the tenancy, you can take a security deposit. It can't be bigger than one month's worth of rent. Uh, you have to give a, a receipt for the security deposit in writing. Um, you have to give a property condition statement. Um, I believe it's within 10 days of the beginning of the lease. Um, you have to put the uh, the security deposit into a separate bank account hmm. in the name of the tenant. And you have to give them... Um, uh, I believe it's yearly um, uh, statements as to how much interest has been earned and whatever interest is earned actually goes back to the tenant at the end of the tenancy. If you don't put it into a separate account, if or if there, uh, it's a non-interest bearing account, you have to pay 5% statutory interest. Oh
0: my tenant. goodness, 5% yep. these days is like crazy.
2: Yeah, well, and so you see that the law was written back in yeah. probably the 70s yeah. when that made sense. Where interest
0: right now is like a 10th of a percent or less. So just it, pay them the it, actual right. interest, yeah. Yep. Um, and so, Ben, that brings up another question: how, how many, how many landlords have attorney representation, like when they embark on this journey of having an investment property? Probably like a percent, right? Uh, and it sounds like I, yes. you, this is that would probably be a good thing, right, to at least consult with a real estate attorney when you have an investment property. I don't, I wouldn't have known that all about about the uh, security deposit.
2: Yeah. And the, the funny part is um, I've found that people, if they hire an attorney for their first one or two, um, they then get the, the forms from us. They say, oh, this isn't, it's not hard. You just have to be organized. Yeah. Uh, so once they get the forms, they see how it works. They say, oh, I'm just going to follow this pattern. And then usually they don't have any problems. Okay. If you go to Google and you type in lease, you're kind yeah. of a, you,
0: you get a draft and oh this will be good yeah yeah
2: yeah it, it's tough and we get people get creative and I, I like what the, where they're going they'll have uh, late fees built in or they'll have language that says the tenant doesn't have any rights um, none of that flies uh, okay. and so um, I'm biased of course I think having a lawyer is a good idea um, but I, I think what is also really helpful is if you have an experienced broker um, helping you as well um, because. Uh, brokers understand how all of this works uh, oftentimes better than the lawyers do on a practical level. Um, so I think having somebody in your corner is really important.
0: Sharon, I love you. I can't take you seriously though with that dog. She is so <laughs> she is so cute. If you're not on Facebook oh. Live watching this, you should go on Facebook on Boston Connect or McNamara and look at this dog. Oh, no. She's so cute. I, I heard
1: her. some rustling going on downstairs and I was like, I better go check on the puppy. But oh. I can up too. She's very cute. Um, There's, you know, another question was on uh, Facebook and it just said, you know, when do do we feel that the courts are going to basically open back up to hear these eviction um, cases? Uh,
2: So it's it's hard to say uh, because it's there's there is an automatic phase out. So it's 45 days after the state of emergency is lifted or. Uh, if it terminates because the governor doesn't extend it. Um, So what that leaves us with is it's really at the discretion of the governor because he sets both of those dates. Um, And so it's, I think, as much uh, a question of the law as it is about public health. Uh, So when we get to a point where we think things are opening back up, it'll probably follow within a couple months after that. But unfortunately, at this point, we don't really have uh, a good idea of when that will be.
0: Sharon, there was another question submitted go, ahead. I, go just, ahead. I, there was another question, I was just gonna ask- but you go first. Cause okay, yours you probably go. related. Okay.
1: So, um, now I forgot mine. So you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just have a few minutes before a break there. Someone
0: else asked a question on Facebook regarding okay. delivering a property vacant, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think we
0: touched on that. What was the actual question? Can you require that the property is delivered vacant at closing?
1: Yeah. So people, um, generally speaking that was the question that they had so ben had actually touched upon that that it's right now we're in a situation if we are so i also have a two family we're very fortunate with our tenants that we have right now but um if if you if you have a tenant that isn't paying it's going to be very difficult to you can't there aren't many people that are willing to buy a property right. knowing that there isn't going to be any income in it, unless it's a fire sale and in this somebody, you know, maybe there's an investor or something who's just like, all right, um, I have the, the financials to support us going through this situation right now, uh, because you can't get that tenant out if they're not paying. But, um, Generally speaking, we, we I've seen horror stories and I've seen things that have gone just well, really, really nicely, um, but never take the word of a tenant that they will get out by the time you close mm. because... Some, I've had a situation where a tenant said, I'm sorry, I'm not I'm, I'm, not leaving. I couldn't find another place and you can't make me leave. Mm-hmm. So sometimes as one of the things that I do suggest sometimes when we do have a multifamily that we're selling um, and we feel that maybe that might end up being a situation is try to get the property vacant prior to putting it on the market. All
0: right, we got to take a quick break. We'll continue on that after the break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Joined this morning by Sharon Kinnett Oh, Sharon Connect, Sharon McNamara, Boston Connect and her sweet puppy darling Marley uh, and also Ben Cody of Styles Law. And I'm disappointed that you don't have an animal on your lap this morning, Ben, but maybe after the break. Um, and we're just going to take a quick break. We're talking about being a landlord in Massachusetts and the laws surrounding that. And we will be right back.